You're listening to The Voice of Insurance. I'm Mark Gagan. Most Voice of Insurance episodes tend to be with industry CEOs. This way, you can get to know the real people behind the public persona and learn about how the industry really works by finding out what makes its leaders tick. But of course, it doesn't give you a huge amount of class-specific detail. Industry titans at public companies know a ton of detail about high finance and deal economics. But if I went too deep into detail on any given class of insurance or reinsurance, they would rightly refer me to an in-house expert for a full briefing. And that's why I recorded this episode. In this hard and COVID-affected market, the hardest segment seems to be the International Directors and Officers Liability Market, or DNO as we all know it. I wanted to get into hard detail about what is going on in this market. To do this, I began to set up interviews with DNO practitioners. My aim was to put together the views of multiple experts into an in-depth report. But the first of these meetings turned out to be so strong that I've decided to put it out as an episode in its own right. David Ritchie of Gallagher is a practice leader in this class and is a very senior broker with his finger directly on the pulse of the sector. In great detail, David describes a market in a state of crisis and dislocation where cover is severely rationed and definitely not guaranteed at any price. This is a world where the prices and terms that are being dictated by the few markets that remain open are almost secondary in importance. Customers have to take it or leave it and may be forced to hit the nuclear button of invoking sunset clauses on expiring cover and renewing on extremely restrictive retroactive date inception terms just to get by. In short, this is the hardest market of all time by a very, very long margin. With only trickles of new capacity on the way and more market withdrawals possible, I don't envy David's day job one bit. But I do commend this episode to anyone who wants to know where and how many of the underwriting fortunes and reputations of 2021 and beyond are going to be forged. Before we get started, I'm here with Rick Lindsay, Chairman of Prime Holdings and the CEO of Claims Direct Access CDA, who've kindly supported this podcast. Rick, thanks so much for your support. Why don't you briefly tell us about the Prime Group and CDA and what they could do for our listeners? Sure. We're excited to announce that CDA is going to be marketing its claim service over in London. Prime Insurance Company has done business with Lloyd Syndicate since 1995 as a cover holder and as the TPA. So we're looking to grow the TPA business. CDA has a proven track record in all 50 states, as evidenced by Prime Insurance Company's own uh, loss ratio and success in underwriting and managing claims nationwide. So we're excited to bring that to our Lloyd's partners and offer them more flexibility by issuing prime paper when necessary and letting Lloyd's fall in behind us or sharing risk and managing claims, although we'll do it a la carte and the claim service is certainly something that I think is valuable. I believe that claims is the key to success in our business. That's really the only thing we do that adds value. Obviously, you can be a good underwriter, and if the claims falls apart, the underwriting is a waste of time. If you're a good underwriter, you need to balance the scale with good claims. Well, that's great, Rick. And just to be clear, CDA handles all of Prime's claims. Correct. Well, thank you so much for that. Thanks for your support, and we'll get on with the podcast. David, thanks so much for giving us the time to speak on The Voice of Insurance. How would you describe the state of the DNO market? The DNO market is in a pretty dreadful state right now. And it's been difficult for three, four years, but it just seems to be crystallizing. And every single month, something else happens, which makes it slightly more difficult. And we've never seen a market like this, not in my career, which 
I was in the market after September 11th and the tech bust, which was we all thought was pretty dreadful, but this is a real corker. Every time you get over the hump and you think, right, I think it's just going to ease a bit, something else happens. And a perfect example of that is when AXA XL effectively withdrew from writing DNO or renewing their book as of the 1st of August. And, and is that just no, a, was that in London? That's just, that's London. That's just in, that's just in London. That's just in London. You know, they still are, but they had the biggest book in London. So that's a seismic event in DNO world. And it's put clients in sometimes at best a very difficult position and at worst a precarious position where they some have limited options and some have no options. Where are the worst territories and um, different industry occupancies that uh, are seeing the, the, the hardest conditions? All territories are difficult in comparison to where they were 12 months ago, but the ones that are really feeling it the worst are UK, domicile, PLC, land. South Africa is tough. Australia's been tough for a few years, and the US, Australia and US were all coming from a more inflated premium base. But in terms of what it looked like from last year, I mean, the UK and South Africa are probably the two territories that we deal in. They're the most difficult versus what we were able to achieve this time last year. So what's driving the market? Is this hardening justifiable in terms of poor results? I mean, none of the underwriters really made any money between 2011 and 2017. If you look at it on a counting year basis, it's just how much money did they lose in the in those years? And some of, some of the loss ratios that, that get floated around are pretty horrendous. And if you look at the Lloyd's triangulation models, the DNO codes didn't haven't performed well at all. Slightly different for 18, 19, and 20, but it's still early days there, so you don't know quite how the teal is developing. But certainly, I think the underwriting companies have just ran out of patience with DNO. I think the teal has been much longer than they thought it was going to be. I think litigation has become really almost impossible to underwrite. And the CEOs of these insurance companies have just taken a view that they have to do drastic action, either minimize the line size or put very strict guidelines on the underwriters or sometimes withdraw from the market altogether. So it really Um, is down to worsening loss trends and bigger awards and claims coming from areas that you wouldn't expect. Is is that right? I mean, we often sort of exactly, talk about DNO. Exactly, because yeah. DNO is the catch-all. And so everyone three, four years ago was focused on the USA and class actions in USA, which are at elevated levels, historically high levels. Could you see that? Maybe. You could maybe say, right, well, there's a lot of claims. Some of them are going to be bad. And then you've got this social inflation that all the underwriters like to talk about. The awards are bigger. But to my mind, that's just the lawyers are costing a lot more the market capitalizations are a lot bigger. Again, you could maybe foresee that, but in 2011, you weren't, they weren't pricing for it. And that's a main problem. That being said, the US has exported litigation all over the world. So Canada has a class action system. It's nowhere near the level of frequency and severity of the USA, but it's still another territory with a class action system. Australia has always been bad. And the litigation funders that have come into that market mean that access to litigation is actually quite easy down there. So that's got super expensive. And then in the UK, you've got corporate scandals. In Germany, you've got Volkswagen and Wirecard. In South Africa, you've got Steinhoff. You know, the list goes on and on and on. And Steinhoff was a South African-only conglomerate. No one thought it would give rise to the level of claim that it had. And that's a real problem. And what about COVID now, throwing that in? Is that just throwing um, fuel on the fire? 
COVID is, uh, <laughs> COVID has just made life even more difficult because you had underwriters taking drastic action, you know, serious removal action last year to try to turn around their underperforming books, trying to take the clients through that remedial action journey, painful though it was for the clients. And then you have a COVID pandemic, which the world freezes, economic activity ceases for two months, and you have industry sectors, not just companies, but industry sectors that the underwriters just don't know if they're viable going forward for the next 12 months. Because, you know, yes, you have to look at the past, but you also have to look at what you think the business, the companies are going to look like 12 months from now because you're underwriting the next 12 months and the actions that take place there. So does it really mean, whereas in previous crises, we'd always look to financial institutions and perhaps tech firms to be the, yeah. the, the difficult zone. Is it now it's hospitality, travel, airlines? That, are these the impossible to place yeah. risk right now? They're the impossible to place risks. I mean, the financial institutions and the biotechs and the, I mean, the financial institutions are, are increasing in premium, but they were coming from a fairly high-ish base anyway, because they never had the downside in the soft market that the other industry sectors did. The biotechs were always seen as very difficult and pharma, so they were coming from a very elevated premium base. But you had airlines and property companies and small PLCs in manufacturing that were coming from such a low base and the underwriters have just taken a view that actually COVID, are they going to exist? Are they not going to exist? How much is this going to cost me? And charging what they like because there's not enough supply in the market. The market's at least 10% the size it was three years ago. And when you have that much of capacity sucked out of the market and demand, if anything, increasing because market capitalization of publicly traded companies has increased over the last three years. It is supply, it's just not there. And demand is so, so, so greater than supply that underwriters are basically saying, right, if you want our capacity, this is how much it's going to cost. And inevitably, the clients are having to pay for it. So what's that translating to into real situations on the ground? A typical renewal, say somebody's got a 300 million limit. Obviously, it all depends on sector and territory and loss records. Sector, and everything else, se- but- se- sector and territory. I mean, you know, if you're renewing a European company, and I'll, I'll include the UK in Europe for the time being, there's not 300 million in the market on that anymore. There's probably 250, 270 million of overall capacity on any one risk. That's tough. In the US, you still might get 300 million if you include Bermuda in there. Canada, there's still some limits. But elsewhere in the world, 300 million is just not even achievable. It just doesn't exist there anymore. And if you're in a difficult industry sector, for example, like when you mentioned the airlines, the hospitality, anything to do with travel, hotel groups, I would doubt there's much more than $100 million of available capacity at that moment in time because a lot of insurance companies have just said, right, no airlines, no hotel groups, no hospitality sector, we're out, the COVID cloud, the COVID flog, we can't see through it. Governments are changing the rules all the time because of the social distancing and quarantines. And so they can't, there's no visibility on these companies. So the CEOs and CUOs have just said, no, we're not writing them. And then that's a real problem because yeah. companies need DNO to exist. And what to about so in, in another practical term? So, so you, you're coming in with your sort of expiring 300 million limit, yeah. and the client 
you're preparing the country, you know that there really is never going to be more than about 100 million. Yeah. And are they going to have to pay the same or more than what they were paying last year? And then with, let's get into the details of what, what will happen to retroactive dates, sunset clauses, that kind of stuff, and deductibles, one presumes. Invoking discovery, depending who your primary insurer is and whether or not they renew, that's the first point. The, so, but that the, means that you're triggering the, any sunset Yeah, you're tr- triggering discovery, terms. the sunset clause, which basically means that the company has extended reporting period to bring claims for any prior acts that occurred in, in the past prior to the renewal. That is a meaningful discussion with every single renewal. Is this a viable option? Is it not? If you invoke 100 or 200 million of cover, you've got to be prepared that none of those insurers are going to participate on your program going forward. You might not have a choice because the primary won't renew and you don't have a renewal unless you go retroactive to at inception. But it is a very meaningful conversation that we're having with all of our clients right at the get-go of all of our renewals. Is this an option? Is a client going to have, sometimes you're just forced into it. No one wants to do it. Clients don't want to do it. The market don't, don't want you to do it. And we as brokers, it is almost the nuclear button, but sometimes you don't have any choice but to press that and then um, deal with the consequences because the consequences of that are better than what's on the table at the moment. So if um, those three words, the sort of nuclear button words, retroactive date inception yeah. are being used at the moment yes. in the market. on a regular basis. But it is a one-year wonder. You get to do it once. Some companies have done it a couple of times in a soft market and then they've really, really suffered now. And I say when it really suffered, it's really suffered. But I think if you don't do it this year, you're not going to have the option to do it next year because those sunset clauses and those rights to invoke discovery have been amended during the renewal process. So you're not going to have those options in 2021, which could mean that the clients are facing a far more difficult decision, even more so than they're facing this year and next year. So there are going to be gaps opening up. I personally think there'll be gaps opening up in the market on some companies and some industry sectors because it's just too difficult for the underwriters to underwrite their way around or they're not allowed to underwrite their way around. And that's a really difficult position for companies to find themselves in because you need DNO. Sitting on the board of directors, you assume possible unlimited liability in the decisions that you make. And you're going to tell these individuals that there's either limited or no cover available to them for the decisions that they're making today. So you're telling the individuals that they've got to put their personal assets, their house and their pension and their mortgage, and not their mortgage liability, but their house and their car and everything that they've got on the line to serve on the board of directors. And I just do not see credible individuals doing that. We know very clearly through bodies like Airmic that the original clients are really quite unhappy with the way yeah. that they see that they're being treated by the insurance market. Have brokers, has the market, did the market ride that bonanza of hyper-competitive bonanza in the preceding decade? And did brokers get a bit complacent and not foresee that at some point this kind of thing might happen again? And did they um, not prepare clients enough for what might be happening? The bonanza, as you call it, went on for so long. Someone once said to me, the bigger the party, the worse the hangover. And the party went on for a long, long time, 15 years of really low or falling rate. And so we always thought the broken community, I believe, in speaking to some of my peers, always thought that the party would end at some point. What we didn't see, and I don't think anybody could foresee it, that just how bad it was going to get. I mean, I always took the hard market after September 11th and the tech bubble bursting. The deals on the table there were 10 million of limit, excess of $10 million retention at a million dollars. That was a high water mark, 10% real online. 
that's an unbelievably cheap deal at this moment in time for any company. What we are seeing in public companies, it's 20, 30% real online. And you have to question if it's an equitable shift in risk away from the companies and the individuals onto the insurers. And what we are seeing is far more companies be interested in the side A only non-indemnifiable portion of insurance. And it is slightly better and slightly more favorable than the kind of company balance sheet protection that a lot of companies have bought. But in the middle of a pandemic, that market is strained as well because effectively you're trying to underwrite the solvency of the companies. And so that's got expensive. So all in all, it's a pretty sorry state. Did the brokers see this hardening of the market coming? I think they did. Did they see it getting this hardened? No, they did not. Surely now is a time when we've got the class of 2020 is busy raising capital. Do you think yeah. this class has to be something they're going to be targeting? And have you got any positive yeah. messages or you've got your solvent underwriters or writers that weren't in this class looking to get in? Yeah. Have you got any good news for your clients to say, actually, some new limits are going to come online with someone yeah, who's got a real yeah, appetite? Yeah, yeah, there, yeah, there is. I mean, I've had numerous headhunters phone about companies looking to get into this class of business. If you don't have any legacy in DNO, people will make an awful lot of money in this market cycle. You just don't need a legacy. So I do think there will be a significant portion of capacity coming into the market in 2021. Will that be enough to get a more balance between supply and demand? I'm yet to be convinced that it's going to replace all of the market, all of the capacity that's been sucked out of it in 2021. But there'll be a bit more of a balance than there is right now, I hope. But Argo withdrew from DNO last week. Another couple go, that would be very, very bad again for the DNO market. So it's always caveated. <laughs> I hope for the best and try to prepare for the worst. <laughs> what about self-insurance, captives, that kind of thing? If we're talking about balance sheet protection, you're sort of saying that balance sheet protection is not really available because you're not getting the limits that are significant enough to protect your market cap yeah. uh, of the sort of size of business. And you're just going to go side A only and to protect the directors for yeah. the ultimate liabilities in case the whole thing goes wrong. So is industry really now at a point where it's becoming irrelevant to the clients? I think the balance sheet protection, if you're a fairly smallish publicly traded company, you need the balance sheet protection. So, And you're probably not big enough in the insurance world to have a captive, but certainly there is captives are being used a lot more and, and people are looking at captives for that kind of side C, that balance sheet protection, taking a bigger retention there. And maybe three or four companies joining together and forming a group captive, that's been looked at a lot more. And I think that's a very sensible way of dealing with it. But if you look at some of what, and I'll call it bad behavior, is it bad behavior or more naivety? Probably a bit of both, that you have these huge corporate companies with hundreds of billions of market capitalization. Most of them have more cash than a developing nation on their balance sheet. And they were transferring their balance sheet protection to the insurance markets. My own view was the insurance market should never have offered those companies balance sheet protection because they were doing it because it was cheap. Maybe the companies are just so much smarter than the insurance industry. And maybe that's why the insurance industry's got the DNO market's got itself into this pickle. But the balance sheet protection is needed for a lot of smaller market capitalization companies. But I would question as to whether or not the really big companies need the balance sheet protection from insurance. That's for sure. 
So do you think we're getting to a point where it might become a crisis that gets the attention of governments and policymakers in that sense that industry can't exist without the DNO in the same way that it can exist without a lot of insurance? Yeah, I, I, I mean, Aramek have started to make noises about it being really unfair. And I can see that. And it would only take two or three companies to maybe go bust. And then it would become a public policy issue, I think, for government, because the insurance industry is closing down companies because they can't get the insurance. And that's a pretty sad scenario for the DNO insurance to find itself in, to make calls on what's a viable industry or not. I don't think we're that far away from there in certain sectors, but we're not there yet. But I don't think we're that far away from that happening. What's life like as a broker in this market? Is it just <laughs> an everyday struggle to what's broking like? Is it just a matter of trying to get insurance at any cost? Yeah, there is. It, it's a bit like that at the moment. I mean, it is a pretty miserable existence because it's just difficult conversation after difficult conversation, morning, noon, and night. And in the middle of lockdown, where we're all working remotely, there's no camaraderie in the office, if you know what I mean, which makes it slightly more difficult. But there's still deals to be done in the market. It's just more expensive than what was available in the last two or three years. But it's very difficult for clients to accept the kind of deals that are put on the table for them because it's not 10, 20% rate increases. It's 300, 400, sometimes even thousands of percent rate increases. And you do worry that treating people fairly and treating insureds fairly that have been with the insurance companies for a very, very long time. Is this really the way the industry wants to behave? But I go back to the point that it's just supply and demand. And demand is so vast and supply is so limited that it's just massively exceeding and the market's not balanced at all. Do you think maybe something tort reform or something is something that has to be put on the agenda? I know it's an incredibly slow thing and it would take years to get enacted and then take another many years to make any effect on the market itself on loss trends. Evan Greenberg's been talking about it and pushing it for a while, but I mean, the way the US political system is, you, you know, you just can't see it happening in any t- anytime soon. And the problem is the underwriters are bleeding cash right now. One fairly senior person at an insur- a very large insurance company who remained nameless said to me, they don't care what rate we're getting on the front end or what great deals we are. All they care about is the cash and checks that they're having to cut on the back end. And so he can't convince our struggles to convince his management that it's a really good place for them to be because of the checks that they're cutting of what they did a few years ago. And that's where the focus is internally in the insurance companies, which which is making life difficult for the underwriters themselves. There's nothing like being cash flow negative to to, to get the finance department on your back. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But in some ways, it could have been a lot worse. I mean, if I look at the South African market in particular, the silicosis claims were a hairline away from hitting the DNO policies. And that that would have been billions and billions of extra claims into the DNO market. So in some ways, yeah, they've got hit with a lot of claims that they didn't expect. But in other ways, they narrowly avoided a couple of fairly significant market events as well. David, thanks so much for this briefing. It's been absolutely fantastic. I think given anybody who wants to know about the state of the world of DNO as much information as they could possibly ever want in a really short period of time. Thank you so much for your time. You must be incredibly busy more than anybody. Off to your next uh, pitch. Or, uh, 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 the Dif- broker can't see that you're on call. your... Of course, the underwriter can't see that you're on your knees on it. <laughs> so that's one bonus, but that's it. 
Yeah, that's it. That's I don't it. envy you. And please come back and give us an update. I really yeah. appreciate you giving us your expert knowledge here. It's absolutely wonderful. And uh, That's no problem. You need to have a thick, thick skin and no pride anymore. <laughs> well, I, I wish you all the best. So times will improve and soft markets will come back again, I'm sure. We'll come back, definitely. Great. Thanks so much. Brilliant. Thanks very much, David. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this program. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost-effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com. <laughs>